Welcome back to week nine of our Galatians podcast. This is actually our last official podcast for the teaching on the book of Galatians. We are planning to record a bonus episode next week that will be more of a wrap up or an overview and that will just be for your listening pleasure. You won't necessarily have to discuss anything with your huddle unless you just want to. Um, You can do that if you want to. Yes. Um, I have Abby back with me this week. Hello, friends. Glad to be here. Yes, we're very glad to have her back. Um, Thank you for joining us on this journey. The three of us have um, been working on this study for a long time, and it's been really sweet to share it with the body. Um, We've been blessed by it, and I hope you have been as well. Um, So last week, it was a delight to have Evan teaching with me, and we talked through the end of chapter five and kind of the first few verses of chapter six, um, we looked at the conflict between the works of the flesh and the works of the spirit that are always at war within, uh, with each other. Paul talks about it like it's a battleground. And then this week we're going to explore that even more. Um, I love how Evan also brought out that the bearing of one another's burdens, um, is a bearing with one another as we battle the sin that's in us. Um, and how that is a reflection of the law of Christ, um, loving our neighbors as we would ourselves. So um, from there, let's go ahead and jump into our passage so we don't go over too far. And um, we'll look at what Paul closes with this week. So we are chapter 6, verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Abby, will you pray for us real quick? I would like to. Thanks. Um, Lord, we thank you that in the Psalms you promise that the unfolding of your word brings light. And we pray that as Joy and I read and teach from your word today, that um, your word would be unfolded and enlighten the hearts of those who are listening. We pray that we would um, speak accurate, correct, true words, um, and that we would speak only what you would have us say. We pray that those listening would be edified and encouraged to study deeply, to know you more and more through your word. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So the Greek word here for taught the word or receive instruction is katechumenos, or one who is catechized. It's where we get the word catechism. Um, And it shows the importance of new converts to be given a body of Christian doctrine or catechism that teaches them um, the ways of Christ, and it's usually taught to them by an instructor. And Paul likely was that teacher to the Galatians, um, and he wants them to share all good things with the one who teaches. The word there for share is koinoneo, which means to share or to have fellowship. It's a partnership. All good things certainly means financial support, but we shouldn't think of this as a payment, but as a fellowship or a sharing of good things so that the teacher can go on sharing their gifts with the church. It's a rich fellowship and a mutual sharing of gifts. And then he quickly follows that up with, but don't be deceived. 
Paul catechized these new believers, but wants to make a distinction between the fellowship they shared and the false teachers. He's basically saying, these false teachers are not sharing fellowship with you. They are not mutually sharing their gifts Mm. with you for your benefit, but for their own benefit. Um, To make a show in the flesh is what he says. And this is, begins Paul's final appeal to the Galatians to hold on to the truth that he catechized to them in the beginning. In Galatians 5, the Christian life is compared to a battleground where the flesh and the spirit war against one another. And then now we see in Galatians 6, he lays it out like a farm. Um, and the flesh and the spirit are different fields that you could sow. And um, this was an agrarian society where sowing and farming was required to eat. It wasn't just a hobby (laughs) Um, where you put like, you know, herbs in a window in your kitchen. This is like survival, how we eat. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Um, Last week we talked about agriculture. um, When we were talking about the fruit of the spirit that an apple grows apples and then Paul moves in, sorry, an apple tree grows apples, not apples growing apples. Paul moves into the analogy even more in this section He um, says that in farming or in gardening, there is an absolute principle. Whatever you sow, you will reap. If you sow a lettuce seed, you will not get a tomato, no matter how much you want a tomato. Conversely, whatever you sow, you will reap. Some plants have longer germinations than others, but they will harvest. It just requires a lot of patience. The reaping does not determine the harvest, but the sowing does. If you sow the seed, it will reap a harvest. That's a promise. Um, And then we see two types of sowing and reaping here, sowing to the flesh and sowing to the spirit. Um, So that kind of begs the question, what does it mean to sow to the flesh? What did you find in your study of that? Well, that's a great question. I was, um, as as I'm studying this, I just kept thinking about the parable of the sower where Jesus talks about, you know, the sower is going along and he casts his seed onto the field Mm -hmm. and some of it's going to be on rocky soil. Some of it's going to go on the road and be eaten by birds, but some of it's going to land on fertile soil. And I wonder if Paul was thinking about that too. I mean, Jesus is, Jesus used this imagery. Paul is using it. Um, and the imagery changes a little bit maybe, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but you know, you just think about that picture of the farmer, um, and this was how they survived back then, like dipping into, you know, his bag of seeds and casting it out. Um, and, I, you know, we do that every day with our lives, too, mm-hmm. even if it's not digging actually into mm-hmm. a bag of seeds. Mm-hmm. We have a million thoughts, decisions, actions mm-hmm. every single day mm-hmm. that we decide what am I going to do with the next 30 seconds? What am I going to do mm-hmm. with the next half an hour? Mm-hmm. Um, we decide where we're, you know, where we're casting our life. Mm-hmm. And what seeds were exactly we're what's happening. Mm-hmm. Where am I, where am I casting my life? Mm-hmm. Am I casting it in? Um, like in why in the world would I sow kale all the time? <laughs> Who wants to just eat kale all the time? It's not, tomatoes. As, it's not as bad if you saute it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I th- I, it's interesting. I think sewing is all over the Bible. It might be interesting to do a, a study Word one study, of these days yeah. on In all of our sewing because it is used a lot. Um, so specifically with sewing to the flesh, the flesh or the sarks, we talked about that mm-hmm. in the last few weeks. Um, S-A-R-X is the Greek there. Um, it's our basis in nature that each of us are born with. Mm-hmm. 
is the nature that unchecked will lead to works of the flesh. It's one of the fields in our farm that we can sow. John Stott, <clears throat> John Stott says that to sow to the flesh is to pander to it, to cuddle and stroke it instead of crucifying it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the seeds here are thoughts and actions, mm-hmm. our thoughts and actions or deeds. Um, some examples of what it might look like. Yes. Hold a grudge. Nurse a wounded spirit or a grievance you have against somebody else. Entertain an impure thought. Wallow in self-pity. Busy ourselves so that we don't create space for prayer and time in the Word. I'm guilty of that one. Um, eating too much or too often. All of these are going to sow, are going to reap a fruit. Um, we are sowing in the field of the flesh. We cannot expect fruit of the Spirit to be harvested from that field. Mm-hmm. Um, now those are all kind of generic. We could get really specific about what it looks like to sow to the flesh. Um, and some are probably closer to home than others. (laughs) Um, but in general, the idea here is that you cannot expect fruit of the spirit to come if the seeds you're sowing are seeds of the flesh or if the field you're throwing the seeds Mm -hmm. in are the field of the flesh. Um, and I think this is another stock quote here we are not helpless victims of our nature temperament and environment Mm. what you sow you will reap Mm -hmm. but what you reap is is so much bigger than what you sow I mean think about the size of a very small seed Mm -hmm. compared to how big a tomato is Mm -hmm. and you get a whole plant and then you get you know ideally a lot of tomatoes from your one seed Mm -hmm. it can seem like a very small thing Mm -hmm. to oh I'll just so to my flesh in this way, maybe mm-hmm. it's a quick little jaunt onto social media where mm-hmm. all of a sudden you are filled with, I mean, who knows, um, you know, maybe going on Facebook is not a sin or a virtue in and of itself, but um, you have to use discernment because maybe you are finding yourself just being sown towards division. I mean, it does that bring you love, joy, peace, mm-hmm. patience, kindness, goodness, mm-hmm. self-control, like if you if you just can't help yourself from saying mm-hmm. something or commenting on something in a way that is not loving and edifying, like then you have not sown to the spirit right there. Mm-hmm. I needed. I mean, this was for me, mm-hmm. <laughs> not necessarily for any of you. <laughs> well, and we learn there in verse. Um, what verse? That if we sow to the flesh. Verse 8, if we sow to the flesh, it always reaps corruption. Mm -hmm. And this word can also be translated as disintegration. Mm. So it's basically saying that sin makes things fall apart. Yeah. When we sow seeds Mm -hmm. of the flesh, things fall apart. It Mm -hmm. always bears destruction Mm -hmm. and never joy in life. But we also have to take this into context of the whole letter. And we talked before that the sin nature or the flesh or the sarks is the part of our hearts that wants to keep control by being our own savior, Mm -hmm. which resists the gospel and seeks to earn it through works righteousness. This is the whole, the point of the letter that he's saying here. Once this becomes a pattern or a way of life, you will be given over to corruption, which is why we seek to restore a brother or sister who finds themselves caught in sin with gentleness. That if we sow seeds of works righteousness, that the, what we reap is, corruption Mm -hmm. or disintegration it falls apart so um what does it mean to sow to the spirit we see um that this is the same as to set the mind on the spirit that we see in romans 8 6 
or to walk by the Spirit that Paul said in Galatians 5, 16 and 25. And again, the seeds are the same, our thoughts and our actions, the little decisions that we make all day long. Some we're not even conscious of. Um, Colossians 3, 1 and 2 tell us to seek and set our minds on things that are above, not the things that are on the earth. Um, This is why we say at the beginning of each study, what you sow in the word you reap in the word. If you sow a little bit of time, then you'll reap a harvest, but it might not be as big of a harvest if you sow a lot of time. So again, um, sowing to the spirit, we reap what we, what we're sowing. Um, we, a lot of times we may catch ourselves saying that if we spend consistent time in the word or in prayer, um, one week, then we quote, feel closer to God. But the truth is God is exactly where he always has been. He hasn't gone anywhere. We're reaping the benefits of sowing the seeds of the Spirit in the Word. Um, But I do think it's important, and I found myself as I was looking through this, it'd be really easy to start making the whole sowing to the flesh and sowing to the Spirit about um, what we're doing. Mm -hmm. But then again, the whole point of the letter is really that it's not about what we're doing. It's about what Christ did, the finished work of Mm -hmm. Christ. Um, So I I think it's important to understand that all of this obedience, the obedience of sowing seeds to the Spirit, is really out of a grateful joy that comes from knowing our status as children of God, which mm-hmm. takes us back to chapter 3. Mm-hmm. Is it 3 or 4? 3? Yeah. That we are sons and daughters, yeah. heirs, not slaves. Mm-hmm. We are children of the free woman. Uh, and when we think on that, the idols that we turn to lose their power and we're free to live for Christ because our significance, our value lays our worth comes from our position as sons and heirs, daughters Mm -hmm. and heirs. Mm -hmm. Um, So Paul recognizes that sowing to the spirit is long and requires patience. Um, And so he encourages us, don't grow weary doing good. Just as a gardener or a farmer must be patient and diligent to water and weed. Um, If they don't, they may not get the full harvest. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to add in to sowing to the spirit? Um, well, I mean, I was thinking about how like gardening is such patient work mm-hmm. and I think it can be, it can be hard to look at other people who maybe have a great relationship. It seems like they just have a great relationship with God or there's great things are happening. I thought you were going to say a great relationship with plants. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually don't have a great relationship with plants, truth be told. <laughs> um, but it can be easy to look at, it can be easy to compare, um, I mean, and ultimately God is faithful to do the work that he is doing in you. Like, you know, Paul says to the Philippian church, I am sure, I am certain, a hundred percent, no question that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. Mm-hmm. Like God is a good gardener. Mm-hmm. God is a farmer and mm-hmm. he is producing that fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's also, you know, if you think about how small a seed is, that's, that's also really encouraging. Like you this tiny decision that you make right here, whether it's maybe for me, it often means like setting down my phone and picking up my Bible. I can't even mm. do the Bible app because then like the other things pop up, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, you know, but to like actually pick up my Bible or, you know, to be in a weird conversation with a friend and say, you know what, let's pray about this. Like those tiny decisions, mm-hmm. um, actually produce a lot of fruit. Mm. And it does not have to be this big thing. You don't have to sit down and like read some giant Bible commentary and sit down and teach a lesson like we're doing here in order to produce spirit, you know, in order to like receive the fruit of 
spending some time with God's word, you know, Mm -hmm. spending some time with God and his word, seeing that Mm -hmm. produce fruit in your life. Well, I do. I think it's, you know, he says in verse eight, um, but the one who says to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Mm -hmm. And really eternal life ultimately is communion with God, full communion with God. So the end is not, I mean, So the end result, what we're reaping is the fruit of the spirit, which is the list that we looked at last week. But really, ultimately, the end of sowing to the spirit is communion with God. Yeah. So this is not, again, Mm -hmm. we're not earning stripes here. We're not getting check marks by our name Mm -hmm. every time we sow a seed Mm -hmm. to the spirit. What we're really reaping is a closer, Mm -hmm. more intimate communion with God. And that is the ultimate end. I mean, that Mm -hmm. literally is the ultimate end. Eternity with him is full, undistracted communion with God. And we get closer and closer to that Mm -hmm. in this life. As we sow to the spirit, crucify the flesh and sow Mm -hmm. to the spirit. So, um, we must ruthlessly eliminate the flesh and concentrate our energy and time on the spirit, which is another way of saying, I crucify the flesh and walk in the spirit. So let's move on to verse 11. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised are not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of the Lord, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. So far in this letter, Paul has been dictating to a scribe or a secretary, and it was customary at the end of a letter for the author to then take the pen and add a personal postscript that served as a guarantee against forgery. And occasionally he would add a couple words of exhortation or grace. But in this instance, he writes several sentences as his final plea. Um, Scholars differ on the meaning of the large letters that he talks about, the large letters he's writing with, but... um, I'm inclined to believe that it would be similar to us texting in all caps, <laughs> which <laughs> reads as yelling. Um, it was for emphasis or to underline his main point. And what is this emphasis that he was making here? Um, it seems to me that he's comparing himself to the Judaizers once more and then poking holes in the religion that they would uphold. This is kind of his, um, the final blow that, he's giving to this religion the Judaizers have been pushing on the Galatians. Um, Which, the point being, real Christianity, the way of Jesus, is a matter of inward change, not external observances and ceremonies. So let's unpack that just a little bit. The Judaizers focused on something external, which was circumcision. Um, And the reason is, and this is where we kind of get to the heart of the matter, and it took me almost at the end of the book, to really get this, that this was the point Paul was trying to make. The heart of the matter is that they want to make a good showing in the flesh, that they may glory in your flesh. Um, This wasn't necessarily a religion that they wholeheartedly believed and were laying down their life for. This literally was them making a show. It was, they were looking for approval from man 
And I love the message version um, translation of this passage. I'll just read it. Oh, thanks. Mm-hmm. I love, um, I love comparing the message. These people who are attempting to force the ways of circumcision on you have only one motive. They want an easy way to look good before others, lacking the courage to live by a faith that shares Christ's suffering and death. All their talk about the law is gas. They themselves don't keep the law, and they are highly selective in the laws they do observe. They only want you to be circumcised so they can boast of their success in recruiting you to their side. That is contemptible. It also is very relatable to the 20th century church. <laughs> um, <clears throat> well, I, it's crazy how he points out like they want to avoid being persecuted for the sake of the cross. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to say as much as it's like hard as a woman to like totally grasp this, if you had to choose between like circumcision or crucifixion, like you can understand why, hmm. you know, someone would choose circumcision because crucifixion is terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but like this was not, we can say that, but it was not a false dilemma mm-hmm. for them. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the Judaizers were worshiping approval yeah. and their purpose was to avoid being persecuted yeah. for the cross of Christ, which stands in stark contrast to verse 17, where Paul reminds us that, or reminds them that he bears in his body the marks of Jesus. Yeah. We know from 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three to 25, that he received countless beatings, five times the 39 lashes of the Jews, three times beaten with rods and once stoned. And we know he'd already been stoned in Lystra and left in a ditch for dead. This was his branding as a slave of Christ. So we see the stark, the stark contrast here. The Judaizers are teaching circumcision so that they can avoid the pain, the offense of the cross. And Paul is saying, my body bears the marks of the persecution I've had because of the cross, because of Jesus. And this is what I'm boasting in. Yeah, well, and for Paul, this question of persecution was at the heart of his conversion and therefore mm-hmm. the heart of his entire ministry because he used to perpetrate persecution against Christians. You know, in Acts um, 7 and 8, he was actively persecuting Christians. He participated in the martyring of Stephen, who was the first martyr. And then in Acts 9, he's on the way to Damascus, and there is this light from heaven that knocks him down. And the first thing the Lord says to him is, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Like persecution is the line. Which side are you on? Mm -hmm. For Paul, that was, this is the question of faith. Are you persecuting the cross or are you receiving the persecution because of the cross? Mm -hmm. Like there is no middle ground in that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and so he, like his conversion is a complete turnaround. Like Mm -hmm. the gospel entails persecution. Mm-hmm. And he knows that. Um, and, you know, he's already been beaten. Um, he will be beaten again. He suspects rightly that he mm-hmm. will give his life for the sake of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting to think, why is the cross so offensive? And it is. Um, you know, I, we live in a society where, um, in, you know, the Western church, it's, it's easy to hide behind Christianity at mm-hmm. times and not and not feel the weight of that. But, you know, the question there, why is the cross so offensive? Why does it, why does it bring upon Paul that kind of persecution? And the truth is because 
people, humans don't like to confront the fact that they're sinners, Mm -hmm. that they can't fix it. Yeah. Um, And the, you know, the message of the cross is that there is nothing that you can do to save yourself or to earn or, or, or to be deemed a good person. Right. No matter how good it looks on the outside, Mm -hmm. there's nothing you can do to earn goodness that we are all sinners beyond what we could ever imagine. Mm -hmm. But God's grace is greater than we could ever dare hope. And that's all wrapped up in the cross. Um, And that, that is really offensive Mm -hmm. to a, a lot of people, especially to good people. Because it's an offense to say, no, you're actually not as good as you think. Which is why so many times we see Jesus talking with strong words to the Pharisees. Mm -hmm. Because it's like when you've worked that hard to earn that kind of a reputation and that kind of an image for somebody to say it's all for naught Mm -hmm. is offensive. Yeah. Um, But that is the message of the cross. So the question Paul's asking here, what are you boasting in? To boast is to joyously exult, to have high confidence in something. All you need to know is a Duke or Carolina fan to understand, to fully understand boasting. (laughs) They identify by one or the other. They find great significance in being a blue devil or a Tar Heel. It is, um, and it's actually really fun to see the kind of joyous exulting that happens between um, these teams, particularly when they're doing well. If the cross is a help to you, but you have to finish its work by doing something to complete your salvation, then it's really your own work that makes the difference in whether you're headed to heaven or not. So that you boast in your flesh. That's what we mean when we say we boast mm-hmm. in the flesh. You can pat yourself on the back and look down on others who haven't done quite so well. But if you really understand the gospel, that Christ's work on the cross was a finishing work and there is nothing absolutely nothing you can add to it to secure your own salvation, then you boast, joyously exult in the cross. Your identity is tied to it. It's where you find your sense of dignity and significance. Um, I think Tim Keller said that religion leads us to boast in something about ourselves. The gospel leads us to boast in the cross of Jesus. Our work is taken out of the equation completely. And so Paul says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The world is dead to me, he says, which means that we are free to enjoy the world because it no longer has control over me. Um, I was just listening actually to a Tim Keller sermon on the way here tonight, and um, he was unpacking this idea of boasting in the cross. And he said, you know, it's interesting that Paul doesn't say, may I never boast except in the Sermon on the Mount, or may I never boast in anything except the Ten Commandments. What he's saying is, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, because Paul knew I don't need more good teaching to be saved. What I need is the cross Mm -hmm. to save me from my sin. Um, we have a lot of good teachers. Jesus is not, he is a good teacher. He was a, the, the teacher. But Jesus, it's not about what he said, it's what he came to do. And what he came to do was to die on the cross for our sins. And that is what Paul is boasting in. Did that make sense? Yeah, well, because just like we, 
you know, can't keep the Old Testament law. We also can't keep Jesus' law. Jesus goes even further. The Old Testament says, don't murder. Jesus says, don't even hate in your heart. Like, if you can't keep the Old Testament, you for sure cannot keep the New Testament. Mm-hmm. The, only, the only way that this works for you is that you are crucified with Christ. You are then a new creation. Mm-hmm. You have the spirit within you, working within you, giving you the power to do what pleases God. Mm-hmm. That's the only way that you can handle mm-hmm. these, these extra commands, like don't even hate in your heart, is if you have a new heart. Mm-hmm. So do the spirit. So in verse 15, he says, it doesn't matter. Circumcision, uncircumcision, doesn't matter. They're both, it's done by man. What matters is a new creation, which is what God has done. A new creation there is um, the same as what he means in chapter 5, verse 6, the faith working by love. Gospel creates this new motivation, this grateful love from a faith view of what Christ has done. Mm -hmm. It changes me from the inside out. It's the inner work of the Spirit in our hearts to regenerate us and sanctify us. And it is somewhat of a mystery. It is. And we should be in awe of this. I mean, we crave things that are new. Like something new is what really makes us splash. Mm-hmm. Like if you think about like COVID-19 even, the reason that this is a big deal, we have had other coronaviruses. This is a big deal because it's novel and it's new mm-hmm. and therefore none of us are immune to it already. Um, it's a big deal. We crave things that are new. Um, but we are what's new. Dan, um, Dan Doriani said, many a heresy begins with a misguided quest for originality. Mm. And we have discussed at length this heresy of the Judaizers. Um, and hopefully we're kind of learning some skills to identify other heresies floating around their mm. legion even today. Um, we need to not lose sight of the fact that we are this new creation. Um, mm. You know, in the first century BC, in Galatia and elsewhere, the Judaizers tickled a lot of ears offering this promise of like something new, something more than what Paul had to offer in his evangelism. Um, but we are the new thing. We are what is new. We don't need to pursue anything novel in the theological realm. Um, there is something new. There is new creation, and it is every believer who has been dead in their trespasses, whether circumcised and following a prescribed law or uncircumcised and following pagan religion, um, but is now made alive in Christ. Mm-hmm. It reflects God Im- God's image that we ache for something new because he's the God who both created all things from nothing at the start, and he's the God who declares, behold, I am making all things new in Revelation 21. Mm-hmm. But we have to make sure that this desire for newness and novelty and something fresh, um, we need to make sure that we know that's happening where God says it is, which is in our heart. Like the prophet Ezekiel called ahead, promising, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you, Mm -hmm. and I will move you to follow my decrees and carefully obey my laws. Mm -hmm. So because Jesus died and resurrected, we can boast in the cross. Like Paul said here. Um, He also said it elsewhere in the letter to the Romans. um, Another way that by Jesus' death and resurrection, that which, you know, we claim when we boast in the cross, we walk in newness of life. Mm. So looking for that newness anywhere else negates our boasting in the cross. Mm. The old is gone. The new has come. come. And it had to be new because we were dead in our trespasses and sins. So what we see here is that a life of cross-boasting is, first of all, inward and spiritual. 
not external and man-driven, and second of all, a divine work of grace. Mm -hmm. Praise be to God. And this is the rule that Paul references in verse 16. The Greek, the Greek word there for rule is canon, K-A-N-O-N, which means a measuring rod or a rule. And this is where we get the canon of Scripture, the teaching of the apostles, and specifically the cross of Christ and the new creation. So the church, or those who walk by this rule, is the Israel of God, which points back to Galatians 3, Abraham's offspring, the children of the free woman, the true circumcision. And then Paul closes once more with another assertion of his apostolic authority. His persecution is what um, identifies him as a true apostle of Christ. He bears in his body the works of Christ. Um, and Stott, John Stott says, Paul bore the marks of Jesus on his body and the grace of Jesus in his spirit. And he desired his readers to have the same, for they were his brethren in the family of God. And so um, we were talking earlier how there's not really a very flowery way to conclude the teaching for this week because Paul was very abrupt. <laughs> well, I mean, he's, do you remember how at the start of this, he offers this, you know, nice little, I am Paul, here's who I am. And then kaboom, I am I'm just astonished. astonished. <laughs> like what is going on? <laughs> um, and he almost ends it the same way. Yeah. He's like, like okay. from now on, let no one cause me trouble. I'm done with it. I don't want to hear this tired. anymore. I'm this done. This conversation is over. Go to your room. <laughs> right. So, um, I thought we might close because we were talking about catechism and the importance of having a doctrine of Christian faith that we go to. Um, I actually decided to close with um, a couple questions from the Heidelberg Catechism, questions 40 and 43. Why was it necessary for Christ to humble himself even unto death? Answer, because of the justice and truth of God, satisfaction for our sins could be made in no other way than by the death of the Son of God. In question 43, what further benefit do we receive from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross? Answer, through Christ's death, our old nature is crucified, put to death, and buried with him, so that the evil desires of the flesh may no longer reign in us, but that we may offer ourselves to him as a sacrifice of thankfulness. Mm -hmm. Abby, will you pray for us? I will pray for us. Lord, we thank you that your gospel is sufficient. We thank you that we are here, um, that we are made right with you by Christ alone, that there is nothing we can add to this. And we thank you for the abrupt, brash, ironic, sarcastic, um, and also tender, loving, kind words that Paul has given us in these six chapters of Galatians. Um, we thank you for his faithful ministry and his work and his writing to the Galatians. And we thank you that we, um, that it has been preserved for us and handed down and that we also can read and learn. And Lord, we thank you that um, the unfolding of your word gives light. We pray mm -hmm. that, that the light that you have shown on all of us in this um, deep dive into the proclamation of the gospel, that it would continue to bear fruit in our lives, mm -hmm. that we would... Um, Go from this study with a deeper appreciation and understanding for what a marvelous, wonderful thing it is that you died and rose again and that we would be boasting in the cross alone as our, um, 
as our righteousness, as what makes us right with you, what brings us peace in our conscience, um, and what empowers us and strengthens us to sow to the Spirit, to live in a way that pleases you and mm-hmm. that produces spiritual fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, we pray that you would bless us as we go. We pray a special blessing on the huddles who will be discussing this, and that you would encourage them through each other, that each of the men and women in these groups um, will find ways to speak the truth to each other and they will be able to share um, conviction um, and confession and repentance with each other and that they would be able to um, live as new creation together and um, do good to each other in as they are given opportunity Um, and lord that this would bear much fruit in their lives in the lives of the church and um, that there would be that there would be growth and fruit from this and lord we thank you that it is in you alone that this happens through christ alone and we offer all of this to you in jesus name amen amen thank you